We've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew as he is showing us who Jesus is by recording the events that surrounded his arrival in those first four chapters. One of the things that we're seeing is that God had made a promise through the prophets that he was going to send his glory and send one who was going to redeem the world, save the world, and change the world. And he also made promises that before that one came, he would send a prophet. He would send someone that, according to Malachi, said would be like an Elijah who would turn the hearts of the people back to God. That he would be a voice calling out in the wilderness, calling people to come back to God. And that's where we are in Matthew chapter 3 is this preparation for the arrival of the king, this getting ready for the coming of Jesus. As Matthew 3 opens, we are seeing a, a rather strange, strange event. Here is this man named John the baptizer, and he is in the wilderness. Now that already should be odd. And not only is it odd that he is in the wilderness and he's preaching in the wilderness, not preaching in Jerusalem, he's not preaching in the cities, he's not preaching where all the people are, he's in the middle of nowhere, he's in the middle of the wilderness. And and, and you might have noticed something strange about him as well as was just read for us is that in verse 4 it tells us that he's wearing a, a, a garment of camel's hair. Sounds really normal. You know, nothing like that out in the wilderness is essentially this really hairy uh, clothing that you're wearing on the outside. And he has a leather belt around his waist and his meals consist of locust and wild honey. Delicious, right? Everything you've hoped for uh, in terms of a diet. The whole point is to see there is a really strange guy who is out there in the wilderness who is preaching at people, eating strange food, wearing strange clothes. Uh, What is going on with this guy, and why is he the one that is preparing the way for the king? Why is this information given to us? What is the picture that we are supposed to know? Well, one of the things that's being given to us about John with the, the strange outfit and the strange eating is to show that he is the Elijah that is to come. In 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 8, it's really interesting where you have a scene there where the king wants to know about who is this guy who's, who's giving off these strange messages that we don't like. And based upon what he's wearing, this garment of, 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 of hair, The king is able to know, oh, well, that must be Elijah the Tishbite. And okay, now I understand we've got this prophet who's making these proclamations. And John is doing the same thing and fulfilling the words of Malachi and fulfilling the the promises of this one to come who will lead the way for the king's arrival. You have John wearing these clothes and eating this food to show he is the prophet who is proclaiming the arrival of the king. And so the king is coming soon. But not only is that given to us in terms of his clothing, but his location is so strange. Why is he in the wilderness? Why isn't he yelling at Jerusalem and telling them? Why isn't he in the cities of Judea? Why is he out there in in the outcast areas of, of Elijah? And one of the things that we have noted 
as we've been talking through the Gospel of Matthew in these first four chapters and is popping up over and over again, is this revival of Exodus imagery. And it is interesting that what you see happening is that John is in the wilderness and he's calling for the people in Israel, Jerusalem and the various cities to come out of those cities and come into the wilderness. Now remember, I probably threw you a curveball last week when I observed that the prophecy in Matthew 2 showing Jesus leaving Israel and going to Egypt is called out of Egypt, I called my son. But notice it's happening again. The call of John is to go out of Egypt, this wicked Israel, and go into the wilderness, leave Jerusalem, leave Judea, leave the cities. And in fact, you will notice that's the way it is worded in verse five, when it says that Jerusalem, all Judea and the region about the Jordan were going out to him. They are leaving and coming out. There is this Exodus imagery of leaving what is wicked, leaving the enslavement and going into the wilderness, just like Israel did all the way back in the days of, of, of in the book of Exodus in the days of Moses. It is an interesting picture because John's not in Israel, but is outside of it, telling people you need to come outside of it. You need to leave the wickedness. You need to leave what is wrong. You need to cast that all behind and do this fresh start and come to him. And that is what the message is about. You'll notice in verse two, as it says in verse one, he's preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And notice what his message is. It is not a message that I think anybody is a particular fan of. It is not a message that just grabs you by the heart, gives you a warm embrace. The message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message is repentance, repent because the king and his kingdom are about to arrive. The message is the king is coming and you need to get ready. In fact, notice verse three, that's what the quotation is. This voice in the wilderness, and what is the voice proclaiming? You need to make straight paths. Now, that sounds really weird. But in those days, when you have the arrival of royalty, of a physical king who would come into your city, you would make sure the roads are clear. You would make sure everything is ready for the arrival. And that's not an ancient Near Eastern thing. If you lived here over the past four years and we had the president return here and they would clear the airspace and clear Southern Boulevard and clear the bridge and clear everything for the arrival of, of, the, of the leader. Well, the same idea. Here is John coming along and saying, the king is coming and you better clear out the obstacles. You better make straight paths. You better get everything ready Because the king and the kingdom are coming. That's the imagery that is given to us by John. And one of the things that I want us to see as we talk about the idea of repentance this morning is that he's going to show us a number of pictures of what repentance 
looks like and what repentance means. And the first picture is, how do you get ready for the king's arrival? Repentance. Repentance is the preparation for the king. To make straight paths, to get the obstacles out of the way. What John is going around in the wilderness telling the people who are coming to him is saying the king is coming. And so you need to get your life right. The king is coming. And so the things that are in your life that are sin, that are wrong, that are keeping you from relationship with God. You need to clear out those obstacles. You need to get out of your life the things that are in the way. The king is coming. And so remove those obstacles and get ready for his arrival. Which sets up, I think, one of the most important aspects that I think is perhaps problematic about repentance. Repentance does not think that we are doing okay before God. Repentance is the implication and understanding that I need to have a life change. It's just implied by it. Repentance does not say, I'm going to keep doing what I've always been doing. Repentance does not say, I'm doing just fine and I'm going to keep on the trajectory that I'm going. Repentance is not merely just saying, well, you know, yeah, I've made some mistakes in my life and I am terribly sorry about that. Repentance is being pictured as a dramatic life change. In fact, you'll notice that's what's happening in this scene before us as it shows there in verse six, as they are coming out to him, it says they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Repentance is an admittance of saying, I've got all kinds of sins. I've got all kinds of wrongdoing. I've got all kinds of wickedness. And I need to be clean, cleansed of those. I need to be made clean. And I need a whole new life plan. I need life change. I need a new trajectory. That's the picture that is being okay. It is being given to us is to say, I'm not okay. Now, I think that's hard in our society. Our culture tells us everything you're doing is okay. You're just fine the way you are. You don't need to make any changes. You don't need to make any adjustments, no course corrections. And I want you to notice that John's message as he's in the wilderness is not, you guys are doing just fine. You guys are okay. Don't, don't make any changes. You're good. No, his message is very powerful. And it's very sharp. The king is coming. You need to be ready. The king is coming. You need to clear out the obstacles in your life. The king is coming. Make your path straight. The king is coming. Are you ready for his arrival? That's what John is proclaiming over and over again. And I want you to imagine the scene. Here he is in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the wilderness. And it sounds like just multitudes, crowds, droves of people are coming to him and hearing the message that they need to change their lives, that they need to get ready for the king's arrival, that they need to be cleansed. And they respond to that as it says that they are confessing their sins. You're right. I need to change. And they start making those changes. 
But you'll notice something that might be even more shocking. If the first six verses are strange, here is a strange guy in a strange place wearing strange clothes, eating strange food, telling people, repent, and you're not okay. You'll notice in verse 7, it tells us, that he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. I'm always amazed by this because if you saw even more people coming you would probably think this is great. I'm so glad that even more people are willing to come and listen to the need for life change, turn around, clear out the obstacles, get right with God, make your path straight for the arrival of the king. But notice that it says when he saw these religious leaders, when you read the Pharisees and Sadducees, these are the people who are in charge of Judaism religiously at that day and time. And notice it says that they're coming out to this baptism also. They're following the crowds. Listen to what John says in verse 7. You brood of vipers, (laughs) who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? You know, calling people a bunch of snakes is not any softer then than it is now. Nobody's going to like that. The very idea of calling somebody a snake, that image has held true even in 2022. You're deceptive. You're a liar. (laughs) You're a scoundrel. And that's what he starts calling. Here comes his group of people for his baptism. He goes, you guys are a bunch of snakes. Who warns you about the wrath to come? You guys are deceptive. You guys are false. And notice what he tells them about that in verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The idea, I think, is very important when he tells them, you can't just come to me, confess some sins, get baptized, and think everything's going to be good. You guys are a bunch of snakes. You guys are false. You're faking it. You're not for real. You're putting on a show. You're coming along just like everybody else. And, oh, there's John. And, okay, yeah, yeah, get me cleansed. Be all right. Good to go. He goes, I'm seeing right through you. (laughs) Because repentance means something. And what John is doing here was supposed to mean something. This wasn't just a perfunctory washing. This wasn't just to be something external. It was supposed to represent and mean a life change. It was supposed to be the fruit of repentant people. And that's what you see happening here is that too many people will come and think if I just say the right words and do a few certain external acts, everything will be okay, right? God will be good with me. I'll say, yay, Jesus, go to church every once in a while, chug some styrofoam and some uh, juice that we've got going on here, and it may be all right. It's all good, right? I'm good, going, heaven, I'm in. John goes, no. This isn't about perfunctory things. This isn't about just checking off a couple of boxes and and looking the part. 
God wants right hearts with right motives. He wants it to cut down to the real heart of it all. He is looking for an actual life change. It's not about looking good before people. It's not about people looking at us and going, oh yeah, you're doing great. That's wonderful. Keep keep doing what you're doing. God wants a right heart with the right motivation. Or to put it really another way, there is no point in doing anything that we are doing, even like confessing sins or being baptized, If the repentance is not real. That's what he just called them snakes for. He says, don't come to me and look like you're leaving Israel and coming into the wilderness and are going to experience this new exodus and want this new life change and confess your sins and be baptized when you don't have real repentance. You don't really want life change. You really aren't going to do anything different tomorrow. You're just playing a part. You're just setting up a role. Real repentance actually is going to change lives. You're actually going to do something different because you're convicted in the heart. You are really hitting the heart and saying something has to change. And it is truly then my desire in my life to make straight paths. Not just say, I sure wish I had straight paths. (laughs) I sure wish that my life was better. I sure wish my life was holy. I sure wish. We're all full of wishes. Real repentance comes For life change, because it comes from the heart. It has the right motivation. And he challenges these people and says, you're not coming for the right reason. Don't even bother with coming down here and playing the part and doing some things and confessing. Forget it. Don't even bother. No point whatsoever. In fact, you'll notice John continues the warning in verses 9 and 10. And do not presume to say for yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You have to love that. God just says, don't think you're special. (laughs) Don't think there's something special about you. Don't say, because you can trace your lineage back to Abraham and your physical Israel, that actually God cares about that. He says, God can make a whole people out of stones if he wants to. Even now, verse 10, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Don't trust your lineage. Don't trust your background. Don't think that God is going to save you just because of physical bloodlines. And the people should have known that. We have tracked in our Sunday night lessons the... Life that God was trying to give to Israel and their constant failure. And how often did God have to show that even though they were physical Israel because of their sins, judgment and wrath had to come? A lot. The scriptures are filled with that happening over and over and over again. 
And so don't think who you are matters to God. What matters to God is repentance. That's what matters to God. It's not about your background. It's not about who you are. It's not that you had awesome parents or you can trace your family people who lived on the pews all the way back hundreds of years and my great 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 grandfather was a Christian not there doesn't matter if you're born and raised on the pews what matters is repentance it's all that matters to God is the heart of repentance and that's what John's trying to communicate to them notice verse 10 again Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. You have to like imagery like that. You're supposed to visualize being a tree and seeing an axe laying there at the foot of your your tree. Not feeling good about that. (laughs) That is not what I want to see coming out to me as a guy with an axe. And that's what he's picturing here is you as the people of Israel here, you think that you belong to God, but the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Why is the axe at the root of the tree? Verse 10 says, because you're not bearing fruit. Put it another way, you don't have real repentance. Your life is not reflecting a heart that wants life change. Your life is not reflecting that you are leaving the past behind, coming out of your enslavement to sin and coming for a new life. Your life doesn't reflect it. And so he says, trees that do not produce fruit are going to be cut down. And God is no respecter of persons when it comes to that. Real repentance is what he's looking for. No fruit he says the axe is then is laid at the root of the uh, of the tree. It is verse ten is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so here is a group of people who come, and I want you to think about how John is giving a warning. The king is about to come, and you need to be ready. You need to make straight paths, clear out obstacles, repent, true repentance, life change. Because if you don't, when he arrives, there's going to be a cutting down, a judgment. And I want you to notice that the next two verses, which are often considered terribly confusing, are actually extremely easy. Because verses 11 and 12 are the proof of what Jesus or what John is saying. John says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. How John begins is startling. John says in verse 11 that there is someone coming after him who is far greater than him. In fact, John says, he's so much greater, so much mightier than I, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes around. Now, what's really fascinating about that is Jesus is going to come along and say, there was no one greater born of woman than John. No one. 
elevated to the highest prophet. And John's walking around saying, the one who's coming after me is so much higher, so much greater. I'm not worthy to bend down and untie his shoes and carry them around. So he's trying to communicate the greatness of what's about to happen, who is about to come. And he then confirms that by saying in verse 11, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, it's easy to come to this and freak out and go, what is going on here? What is that saying? One of the things to know is that This terminology is not the first place this has ever come in. And I think that's usually why people get tripped up by this text. Is because they're reading through Matthew. You go, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to start in Matthew. And you hit that and you go, what is that saying? But the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and baptism of fire is filled throughout the Old Testament prophets, just a few of them on the screen. But it is all over the place about how when he comes, the Spirit's going to be poured out and there's going to be blessings and there's going to be renewal and there's going to be life and there's also going to be judgment and there's also going to be an accounting that's going to happen. The prophets are proclaiming this over and over and over again. And notice verse 12 is the explanation to help us of what he means When he says a baptism of fire and a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor. Now again, that's an image completely lost on us. (laughs) But an idea here is you have all of these grains. You've got wheat. You've got chaff. You would take that and you would toss it into the air over and over and over again to separate what was really wheat and what wasn't. And the wheat would be heavy enough to come down. The chaff would start blowing away. He'd be able to make a separation. Notice he's describing a separation. A winnowing fork is in his hand. He is going to determine who is wheat and who is chaff. And notice what he's going to do. Verse 12. He's going to gather the wheat into the barn. That sounds good. (laughs) I like that image. He's going to gather the, he's going to sort it out, take the wheat and bring them into the barn. There's the blessings of God. But notice the rest. But the chaff, he'll burn with unquenchable fire. That's the explanation right there of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire is looking like. He's going to come. And some are going to be a part of this and some are not going to be a part of this. Notice this is exactly what Malachi talked about. Malachi chapter 4, toward the very end of the last prophecy that God gives before you have Jesus' arrival. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so it will leave none of them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the soul. Notice the same ideas here. When the day comes, there's going to be the evildoers, those who are the chaff, and notice the same picture, setting them ablaze and no root, axe is laid at the root of the tree is what John's talking about. So the very same idea, tapping on the same prophecy. 
At the same time, them saying, but those who fear my name, those who are the wheat, healing, blessing. And all that John is coming into is saying, the one who's about to do that is on the doorstep. That's all he's coming and saying. You need to repent because he's either going to baptize you with fire. What do you mean by that? Judgment imagery going to be judged and every tree that's not producing good fruits being thrown into the fire or baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, what was that image gathered into the bar, the barn, avoiding judgment, receiving the blessings of the king. These are the pictures that are being given. And John's just simply trying to tell us the blessings and the promises of God are coming in Jesus. He is going to give healing to his people, but he's going to bring judgment to those who are not. Doesn't that make sense why John would run around saying, you need to get ready. Because you're going to have one of two things happen. Get ready. He's coming. Straight paths. Prepare yourself. Repent. Have true repentance. Get right with God because he's coming. And you're either going to enjoy the blessings of his arrival as wheat and belong to him and belong to his kingdom and enjoy all that that entails. Or there's judgment coming. Fire is the imagery of judgment. Fire is coming and you're going to be having the, the axe attacking the tree, taking the tree down, cut down, cast into the fire. All right. So why all this? Let's talk about what this is trying to show us today. Number one. John's big message is to come and to tell them you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent. In fact, when we get to chapter four, we're going to see John or chapter three and chapter four. Jesus is going to go around saying the same thing. You need to repent. Repentance means number one. An acceptance of this truth. That your life has gone off course. And that you need to come back. that might be harder than sometimes we admit. To actually admit and say, my life has gone off course. I'm not going the right way. My paths are not straight. And I need to make straight paths. And I need to come back. Repentance desires to confess sins, not make excuses, not blame other people, but says my life's not right. My life is not right with God and I need to get right with God. And so then I am declaring I want to make massive changes. Repentance doesn't say I want to keep doing what I've been doing. If I'm willing and truly admitting that my life has gone off course, then I'm also saying I don't want to stay off course. I don't want to be over here. I don't want to be worthy of judgment. I don't want to have my paths all messed up. I want to have the ways of God. And that's what he's describing. And that's what's happening here. Why they're confessing their sins and being baptized is you are symbolizing that dramatic life change. That's why Romans 6 will talk about 
walking in a new life. We're breaking the old way. I don't want those old paths. I don't want that old way of life. My life's off course. Me living for me is not working out very well. It's only making a mess. It's only getting worse. I need a new life, new trajectory, new way. I'm saying to God, that's what I want. I'm confessing my sins. I need a new path. And that's ultimately what God is looking for in us. This is what God desires, that God wants repentance. Imagine this. John is out there in the wilderness and it says just droves of people are coming to him. And it says that they are confessing their sins. Do you think when they came confessing their sins, admitting that they needed to make straight paths, that John shamed them and said, I can't believe you were committing those sins. Well, you guys are terrible people. Wow. (laughs) You think that was going? I think John's just going, wow, that's just unbelievable that you did that one. Sometimes we act that way about repentance. They look at me and go, wow, I can't believe you did something like that. We should be the people who welcome, encourage, and rally around true repentance. We are the people who look at this and go, that's what God wanted. We're people who were not hiding the sin anymore, but were willing to admit my life's off course and I need to get right with God. And friends, there's no shame in that. That's exactly what God wants. That's what God is encouraging. That's what God is desiring. That's what John is running around saying. You got to repent. He's not going, ah, shame, shame on you. He's like, you need to confess your sins because God has come to change your life and he's willing to give it to you. Rather than avoiding what we've done, we confess it. Because I always make this joke with you. It's not like God is in heaven going, wow, I can't believe you did that. How did you confess that one? You snuck that one by me and I had no idea that that was going on down there. We act like we're hiding things from God. And we're certainly not here to impress each other. In fact, I would make this key point. If we are not people who are welcoming the truly repentant, then we're the ones with the dark hearts and we're the brood of vipers because we're deceiving ourselves as if we think we are not in equally bad shape who need the blood of Christ and need repentance. We're the deceptive ones. We're the snakes. We need to welcome, encourage, and hope for, pray for, in a repentance out of all people. Can you imagine a doctor not wanting to see sick patients? Can you imagine a church not wanting to see sick patients? God's calling for repentance. But let repentance be real. Let it be real. Don't do it because, okay, everybody would be off my back. Don't do it because you think that's what people expect. Do it because you really want to change your life. Do it because you understand that the king is coming and that you want to enjoy the blessings of God, not judgment. Make the change because you see the emptiness of your life path. 
and that you want God on your side and you want that true relationship. Live different and understand what God is calling for us to do is to get ready for the king's arrival and that will be seen in observable fruit. True repentance will be observable. And we aren't doing anybody any favors if we act like repentance is just simply, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I've I've made some mistakes in my life. That John's call is to get real with God. To get honest, to be real, to be transparent, and tell God, I need forgiveness. I'm full of sin. I need your cleansing. I want a new path. And I want to make the changes so that I can do that. The call of the kingdom and the call of the king is repentance. The call is to get out of Egypt, to come into the wilderness, to experience new life, a new exodus, and the new ways of God. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I would pray first of all that you would just simply forgive us for how often we can be fake. That we can be like these Pharisees and Sadducees who are deceptive about our walk with you. Forgive us when we are simply trying to look the part, but don't have real change. We aren't motivated to serve you. We aren't motivated to live differently. Forgive us for when we stumble into that. Forgive us for when we have tried to hide our sins rather than being repentant. Forgive us for when we've been unwilling to confess our sins. Forgive us for when we have turned away from you and thought our path is better. Lord, thank you for your long-suffering and your time that you have given to us so that we can be aware of our sinfulness and to give us opportunity to turn back. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us today of our sins, that all of us here in our hearts and in our minds are confessing our sins to you right now, that all of us here are looking for life change right now, and that you would give that to us We thank you for the promise of your son that gives to us that we can be wheat gathered into the barn, that we can belong to you, that we can be forgiven of what we've done in our past. Thank you for loving us and giving us your son for that possibility. And Lord, help us to have hearts toward people who are repentant. Help us to encourage it, to seek it, to want it. Help us to bring people back. Help us to show your love to a lost world. Help us to show your love to each other. So that no one would think that we are pious or holier than anyone else. We're all together in this boat. We need your help. We need your forgiveness and we need your strength. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And Lord, we pray that in our repentance... We will start our life change this very day. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Go sing invitation song. I want to give you the chance to make your change today. We saw there that the picture is coming to him, confessing sins, baptized, great imagery of the new life that's available to you. To turn to him with all of your heart, confess him to be the son of God, declaring yourself to be a sinner who needs to be forgiven, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. We'd love to give you that chance to do that this very day. You can just let us know if you want to do that. Let me know afterward, or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.